Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different this week. Instead of discussing uh, Justin Bieber's behavior or the color of Beyonce's hair, that kind of thing, we're doing kind of a Christmas-themed episode with uh, some people that have made movies that center around the holiday season. Larry Weinstein is here. His movie, Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas, uh, will be playing on the documentary channel, most appropriately, on Christmas Eve. It's also streaming uh, in and around that time if you don't happen to be home or have your PVR set on Christmas Eve. Eve. Susan Coyne is here. She's written a film called The Man Who Invented Christmas. If you listened to the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, you'll know that I really like this movie and I was excited to have Susan in to talk about it. And then John Mitchell is here. John Mitchell is the Grinch. John Mitchell is the guy who doesn't have a Christmas-themed uh, story to tell, but it's a really interesting project called Waiting for Ishtar. And this has been gestating for a long time, and I had a very small part to play in it a very long time ago, and frankly, many pounds ago. So I'm kind of interested to talk about that. So welcome, everybody. Nice to see you all. Thank you. Thank you. And Larry, let's start with you, because uh, I'm a little annoyed with you <laughs> about Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas, because this is all about, and we'll get into this in a sec, but it's all about how Jewish songwriters like Irving Berlin kind of shaped the modern notion of how we celebrate Christmas. Um, there's a couple of things I'm mad about. Uh, I have one of the <laughs> largest collections of unusual Christmas music anywhere. Uh, and it's it's a truly sprawling thing. You didn't call me, but you called my ex-girlfriend, Ophira Eisenberg, to oh. be in the movie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And she's fantastic she's in fantastic it. She's fantastic in yeah. it. I, I so apologize. <laughs> So, <laughs> so now that I've got that off my I chest. I wondered why you were resistant to look at the film. And <laughs> to, uh, John, oh. John put me in his movie, you know, so uh, that's yeah, all I'm saying. That's, that's <laughs> how I got here. <laughs> and of course, you're in The Man Who Invented Christmas. That's right, yes. I, I, I am uh, one of the, ghosts. The, the young Ebenezer Scrooge. An off-screen that, ghost. That's, that's right. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about uh, the premise of the film then. So your idea is that, and I think, rightly so, is that Jewish songwriters and writers created White Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, sort of a non-secular way of the way that we celebrate Christmas. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the one exception to the non-secular is is uh, Do You Hear What I Hear, right. which actually yeah. talks about the Christ child yeah. and, and had a whole different history why, why that was written. I actually would love to tell you some of the other titles. Sure. Um, yeah, so Winter Wonderland, which is in our film, uh, Rook Chestnut, Chestnuts on Open Fire, the Christmas song, A Sleigh Ride, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. Uh, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, Silver Bells, I'll Be Home for Christmas, Holly Jolly Christmas, <laughs> and the ones that, that are in the film as and, well. And, and every song that you hear when you're in you know, a Walmart or a Shoppers Drug Mart or whatever, playing over the PA system for the entire month of December. Right, so a lot of people really hate these songs. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably. I, I am not one of them. So tell me uh, where the idea came from. What's the genesis for you? Well, this is one of the films that I actually, I, I'm not the one who came up with the idea, though it's, for me, I, I've been aware of this mm -hmm. phenomenon uh, for many, many years. And, and But uh, to two producers in Toronto, there's a company called Riddle Films. It's, it's Jason Charters and, and Liam Romales. 
uh, presented at, at some trade show in Berlin uh, a couple of years ago that they were going to make this film, which then was called The Jews Who Stole Christmas, <laughs> sort of inspired by Grinch. But then Trump comes in and you better not have nasty titles. Um, and, and they did a little trailer with David Wall, who's this wonderful musician who has had these Jewish Christmas evenings, like I saw one at, at Hughes Room in Toronto. And they had discussed this idea uh, and, and came up with this trailer. And I came up to them and I said, I am so jealous. You know, I've made all these music films and this would be so much fun to work on. And they, they said they, they, they hadn't designated, they're both directors, but they said they, on the plane on the way over to Berlin, they were talking about me as being the director for this and they just hadn't bothered telling me yet. <laughs> they said they assumed I'd say no. Really? And, and I immediately said yes. Okay, it's, yeah, so we should disabuse people of the notion that, that you know, people are unapproachable. You never know. Yeah. You always ask. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so so it it is an irresistible idea, and it's a very profound and moving idea as well. Well, and the movie illustrates that because it starts off kind of sort of in a lighthearted sort of way, and then as we get further and deeper into the story, uh, it, it does become quite profound, and it's a hybrid of a film. Really, it's a documentary, but it's also a performance. And a drama. And a drama. There's a lot of things going on. And the interviewees that yeah. are from all over the place, from comedians to musicologists to a priest and a rabbi. It sounds like <laughs> a setup for a joke. Um, yeah. And and uh, and the and the performances are unexpected performances. I mean, they're Ed, Ed, Tom Wilson is a mm-hmm. homeless man in the back of the Chinese restaurant yeah. where it takes place, yeah. and and is and sings Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer or. Or, or Stephen Page singing such a beautiful um, Silver Bells, which is quite a banal song, really, but with Aaron Davis's arrangement. And, and we kind of set the whole thing in 1967 in yeah. this restaurant, so we were thinking of of Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds and sitars and things. And, and so it's it's all over the place. I like to think of it as a, as like Christmas. It's like, it's like all these boxes with gifts in them, and you don't know what's in the box, right. and it's one surprise after another. What do you think makes a great Christmas song? I think that the really great Christmas songs are about, and, and sort of counterintuitively, I think, about melancholy, about loss, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams, uh, songs like that that are about sort of nostalgia and a feeling for the subject and for the time, but um, that have a, just a little tinge of sadness to them. I think you're right. I haven't thought of it that way exactly. I thought that there's a wide-eyed, kind of na- almost naive approach. I-, I think of these guys who wrote these things being outsiders, looking yeah. in, looking through a window and seeing these beautiful idealized Christmas celebrations yeah. and, and, and having so much, um, uh, well, affection for it, but but envy, too. And, and and uh, but what you're saying is true. I had a real uh, for a little while. Uh, for for a while, Hoxley Workman was going to be one of the musicians in the film, and he he's written some Christmas songs. And he said he was desperately trying to recapture what these guys did, mm-hmm. and that that it was a different time, and that these times have changed, and and the melancholy is there. I think that might be partly because so many of these people were either immigrants or children of immigrants who came from terrible circumstances in Europe, and then most of them came to New York, and and when that as, as yeah, I mean, that, that Statue of Liberty actually meant something, and they came with open arms, and they're trying desperately to be American, and, and, and lovingly so. Yeah. It's very sincere. A lot of people are cynical about, oh, they were trying to make a buck. Well, there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of these songs written, so why did these last mm-hmm. generations? I think what you're saying is right. There's something about them that is sort of like a hook to me that, that, that always makes them mean something more than just uh, a, a song that you hear in, you know, 
in at Walmart and is sort of goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, even even in, in terms of what you're saying, even Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer, mm-hmm. which is such a you know a silly yeah. children's song in a way, has its very melancholy roots. Yeah. Uh, a, a man and an and, outsider, an outsider. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean that's obvious. It's mm-hmm. obvious. It's about an outsider who who decides they they have to be proud of what they are and all that. But it was written by a man who Robert May, who, who it was based on his coloring book that he made for Montgomery Ward department store. They commissioned him yeah, and he came right. up with Rudolph Reynolds Reindeer, kind of based on his own child growing up in New Rochelle as a Jewish kid who was laughed, kids laughed at him, called him names. And he decided to <laughs> be proud. Yeah. And as Robert Harris, the wonderful Robert Harris says in, in our film, uh, Rudolph, dis- the great thing about Rudolph is he didn't get a nose job. <laughs> 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 but as he's telling the story, he starts to actually cry because right. it's such a moving story. And it's like, now I listen to Rudolph in a department store and I start to weep. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> the, the movie is called uh, Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas. You can see it on the documentary channel on Christmas Eve. It will also be streaming. Uh, you'll be able to, to have a look at it. And it's a really, really cool uh, movie that will sort of uncover, I think, a lot of things that you didn't know about these songs, but sort of add some context to them as well. And I think it's really important, and it's in the film, but what you said about how these people coming from terrible circumstances in Europe and starting over and writing these songs that were about loss and melancholy and that kind of thing, but uh, but with an eye towards, you know, celebrating the season as well. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And uh, and we'll talk more after I hope about uh, something like do you hear what I oh, hear? Oh yeah, no, we will. Hold we're gonna, th- this will be a thread all the way through the show. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm going to bring everybody else in here. Um, Susan, uh, do you have a favorite? Is there is there a song that reminds you of Christmas? Oh well, you know, uh, I grew up in the Anglican Church, so yeah. some of those old Christmas carols really move me a lot. Yeah. I think. Um, in the deep midwinter, in the bleak midwinter, is probably my. F- it's very melancholy, but but beautiful. It's interesting this melancholy theme all through Christmas because it's certainly there in Christmas Carol as well. It, it is, and we'll talk about that in just a yeah. sec. But that's one of the themes that seems to run throughout a yeah. lot of great Christmas literature, a lot of great Christmas songs. Is it is a sense of longing? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, and um, and as I'm thinking about it, one of the things I remember reading about a Christmas Carol is that. And this is really interesting, I think. I don't know that anybody's really named this, but that Dickens invented nostalgia for childhood Christmases. Yeah, yeah. And that that was, a, that was part of what was he was writing about, was this idea of the family tradition and going back to it and children's memories of it. And so, so it began then in that time. Well, before, and I, I guess people know this, but I, I don't think that I knew it particularly, but people had said Merry Christmas before mm-hmm. Christmas Carol came out, but it really popularized the saying of Merry Christmas and charitable donations at Christmas time. It did, and turkeys. And turkeys, that's right. <laughs> um, the people, I, I guess, you know, it's almost like, did it, I guess this is sort of a silly example, but people never used to say Happy Halloween, and now they do. Right. And, I, and it was sort of a minor holiday, and uh, people might have said it as a kind of passing thing, but it became a big thing uh, around this time. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We'll bring John Mitchell in uh, to talk about his film, Waiting for Ishtar. Uh, lots to talk about there. This is a film, I think one of the things that all these projects have in common is that they all took a long time to come to fruition. And uh, and I want to talk about Waiting for Ishtar. We'll talk more about Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas with Larry Weinstein. And of course, The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's in theaters right now. It's terrific. It's the story of Charles Dickens' 
being kind of down on his luck, needing money, self-publishing a book that no one thought was going to do anything and how it kind of changed the way we celebrate Christmas. And we'll talk about that with Susan Coyne. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, we have the director of Waiting for Ishtar, John Mitchell. We'll tell you all about that in just a second. Larry Weinstein's here. He's made a film called Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas. It's available on the Doc Channel, or will be seen on the Doc Channel on Christmas Eve. It'll also be streaming. You can check it out there. It's a really interesting look uh, at how the modern day celebration of Christmas, in terms of music anyway, was really shaped by people that didn't celebrate Christmas, were kind of outsiders looking in. It's a fascinating look at that. We also have Susan Coyne here. Her movie's called The Man Who Invented Christmas, and it's a story of someone who kind of reshaped the way that we celebrate Christmas, Charles Dickens, when he wrote A Christmas Carol. And Susan, what this has been a long time. So mm-hmm. we're talking seven or eight years here. Are we, mm-hmm. of you working on this? Maybe nine. Maybe mm-hmm. nine. <laughs> and and what keeps you interested? What keeps you moving forward on a project when it takes that long? Oh, just the material is so fun and so interesting. And the more I dove into the research, the more I sort of fell in love with, with this complicated character who was Charles Dickens. So it, it, it really felt very close to my heart by the time we finally got it made. <laughs> and it's in theaters right now. It's doing very well. I, it's the perfect movie. I say in my, my written review, and I'll paraphrase because I don't really, I wrote it weeks ago, but I say something like it's a it's a perfect movie to make you feel uh, the kind of warm and squishies that you need to feel or want to feel around this time of the year. It's, it celebrates the festive season without a hint of cynicism. Oh, and I well, like that a lot. Somebody said something very interesting in an interview. They said Christmas movies are like horror movies. There are certain things you have to hit in a way and I thought oh that's actually true yeah no to... it is it is but this movie like all genre movies and I'll, I'll call it like the Christmas genre of movie um, it's not really exactly about Christmas I mean it, it, the genre movies always tend to be about kind of big universal truths right they tend right. to be about other things this is about I think someone reconfirming their creativity this is about someone who is looking around the world and funneling it into uh, a, a, a story that they write that that ultimately goes on to affect a lot of people. It's true. It's really about somebody who was at a crisis in their life, personally and creatively, and so on. And and as as often happens with great writers, and had to reinvent himself in mm-hmm. some ways, and had to go into his own personal psyche to do it, basically. And that's the, that's kind of what the, the ghosts are. For for um, him as well as for Scrooge. Yeah. So in the in the film we see Ebenezer Scrooge played by Christopher Plummer, and it'll kind of make you wish that Christopher Plummer would play Ebenezer Scrooge in, Every a, year. in, a, in a long in yeah in, a, in everything. <laughs> uh, but you also see the ghost. There's sort of a fantasy element mm-hmm. uh, of the story uh, where Dickens is is trying to come up with these ideas, and he finds them sort of in his life. And the interesting thing about it is, it's very hard, I think, to show the creative process on screen. Mm-hmm. Especially writers. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah, it's good. You can only watch people. Ink and, you know, <laughs> and we've seen that before. It's yeah. hard to do it, but I think this movie finds a way to show the creative process in a way that makes people understand the kind of ephemeral world of what it's like to be a writer. Well, and this partly came from my research about Dickens himself as a writer, and he was a very visual yeah. uh, and, uh, and kind of like an actor, really. Yeah. So he really did talk to his characters. His daughter said that she watched him get up and he would act out all the characters and he'd look in the mirror and create dialogue and mess his hair up and <laughs> put on funny accents. So this isn't so much of a stretch in the sense that he really did see these characters. And that's why I think they're so vivid to us. 
So I was really extrapolating from something that was kind of part of his creative process. The movie is called The Man Who Invented Christmas. We'll talk about it again a little bit later on with Susan Coyne. I've got to bring John Mitchell in here. He's been sitting here patiently. No, I'm just uh, listening. They, these are great projects. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is called Waiting for Ishtar. So, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, maybe, I got a... a maybe ten. Maybe ten. I got a phone call from John, and I've known you from around, mm -hmm. you know, and, and saying, would you be interested in talking about the movie Ishtar uh, for a documentary that you were making with Jonathan Crombie? Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, come on over. So you came to my house, we shot some stuff, and over the years, we'd sort of keep in touch. I've finally seen the movie. I am many pounds lighter, and I didn't recognize <laughs> the furniture. So that's how long it's been. <laughs> but, it, it's, yeah. but it's out. You'll be able to see this on Vimeo on December uh, 15th. Vimeo Direct, it's called. Right? It's Vimeo On Demand. Vimeo yes. On Demand on December 15th. It's a terrific look at a movie that everyone maligns. Everyone says that Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman made the biggest misstep of their careers with this movie, which was a big budget, Elaine mm -hmm. May written and mm -hmm. directed movie. This was a big deal that didn't do very well at the theater. So uh, in a couple of minutes that we have left, why do you think it didn't do well when it first came out? And then we'll get into the story of how you made sure. the film. Um, it, it's, it's part of that history of film, of filmmaking, um, uh, films that went over budget and, uh, it, um, was really pointed out in the press that they'd kind of, it was sort of seen as three spoiled brats running amok is, right. is what, uh, George Anthony said in the documentary. And I think it's, it's true. Uh, you had three strong personalities and they, they, you know, it went over budget. It was supposed to be a Christmas release, which is why I thought I might release it at Christmas time right. originally. And then it was released in the summer. And so there was a lot of negative word of mouth before the film came out, because I remember, uh, it was being made fun of, um, mm -hmm. you know, before it was released. And so much of it had to do with its supposed $55 million budget, which was a fortune which at the time. at the time would have been a fortune if Paul Williams was writing the music for this. It was a very upscale production. It was. It, and, and it's not really a blockbuster film, you know, if you've, you've seen it. So uh, it's more, what's cool about the movie is, are, are the more kind of like the, the Elaine May's humor and, and the relationship between the two main characters. Mm -hmm. Who are uh, songwriters. Who, who are song, yeah. struggling songwriters, and, uh, and they do it really well. Like, they're, you know, they're not very good, but they're also, there's some thing there they just they just have they get on these strange metaphors on their song with their songs and it was one of the things that I loved about the film and why did you decide to make this movie I know you were trying to get a copy of the, the whole premise of the film is you're trying to rent or not rent but check out a copy of it from the library and yes. it's always out so you think well Somebody must like this movie. Well, exactly. Yeah, I, I tried to borrow it, and uh, and then it, it didn't show up for weeks, and and I went back to the library, and it turned out they had one ratty VHS copy of Ishtar, and there were forty seven people on a waiting list to get it, <laughs> and so I just thought, okay, that's really strange for a film that bombs. Somebody's willing to wait forty seven weeks. Who who is that person? Forty seven curiosity seekers. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I I just thought you know it would be fun to try to track down an interview for someone from this waiting list, and I told Jonathan the idea, and he. He really liked it and wanted to get involved and so we just thought okay let's just grab a camera and, and see what we can do and it was also a great way into a discussion of the film because it's an interesting film to kind of look at look back at and uh well it's an interesting film because the word ishtar has you know become kind of uh, a metaphor for big expensive failures that's right. And and the film, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we come back on the other side of the break, though. But the film's actually pretty great. Yeah. If you, if you have a look at this film through fresh eyes, if you have a look at this film when you haven't read all the damning press that came out before the original release, because I think that's probably what really 
squashed its chances of actually doing anything. Uh, it's actually a lot of fun. Two really engaging performances at the front, and Elaine May's direction is pretty lively and fun, and, and it's a good film. Uh, that film is called Ishtar. John Mitchell's film is called Waiting for Ishtar. We'll tell you about that a little bit later on. Larry Weinstein, Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas on the documentary channel on Christmas Eve. It will also be streaming. And The Man Who Invented Christmas, the film that Susan Coyne wrote about Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol, is in theaters right now. It's doing really well. Go see it before Christmas. It'll make you feel good. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, we have uh, a bunch of filmmakers. Larry Weinstein is here. Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas uh, is his film. You can see it on Christmas Eve on the Doc channel. Uh, also, it will be streaming uh, anytime soon now, right? You'll be able to see it between now and Christmas streaming, right? Yes, I think so. I think yeah. it starts right away. Right away. <laughs> Download it legally, of course, and uh, have a look at it. It's a really interesting look uh, at how Christmas was shaped uh, by songwriters and, and storytellers. John Mitchell's film, Waiting for Ishtar, uh, goes on uh, Vimeo On Demand on December 15th. And it's a, it's a really interesting look at a movie that everyone thinks is terrible but isn't. And uh, Susan Coyne is here. She wrote The Man Who Invented Christmas, the story of Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol. Uh, a terrific movie. It's getting great reviews. Although I heard, and maybe you can you can uh, tell me if this is true, that the distributor sent out lumps of coal to the odd critic that didn't like the movie. <laughs> Did you hear this? I haven't heard that. That's great. <laughs> I kind of loved, if it's true, I, I kind of true. love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. So, John, we were talking about uh, Waiting for Ishtar. So, mm -hmm. Everyone thinks that this is a terrible movie. Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman, Elaine May, Paul Williams writing the songs. Uh, everyone thinks, because the legend around it is that it's terrible, you wanted to check it out of the library. There's 47 people ahead of you. Who would wait 47 weeks? You wanted to find out why and who those people were. Mm -hmm. What did you learn uh, about the film and about... Uh, people, just sort of in general, because the story, the movie has a larger point to make than just, hey, Ishtar's not that bad. Yeah, it, well, the whole thing started from a conversation about guilty pleasures, entertainment-based pleasures. Right. So it's sort of about defending your choice in, in a way, um, picking kind of what became an underdog film and sort yeah. of, and celebrating what, what's uh, what's great about it. And uh, it reminded me, there's a quote from Elaine May that she let us use uh, where she says, if all the people who hate Ishtar had seen it, right. I'd be a rich woman today. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of uh, kind of the point, too, that, um, you know, people dismiss things out of hand. And even the, the original conversation... Um, when I said I loved Ishtar, it stopped the conversation dead, and people thought I was joking <laughs> and and just mocking the conversation. You're so ironic. Yeah, yeah. it's like no, no, no. Sincerely, I love it. Uh, but yeah, it's um, uh, I don't know the overall point. I, I don't know. Larry, Sorry. Susan, have either of you seen Ishtar? Yes. Yes, and loved it. You loved, I loved it. it. I couldn't yeah. believe it when I saw it. I, because I, it's you had a probably mystery. heard terrible things yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, right? and somebody I knew said, "Oh, I watch it every year. You have to watch it." So, <laughs> mm. yeah, I remember watching part of it on TV, missing it, and going, "Oh, this is great. I, I really want to." And I never, but now I will. Except sure. I have to wait forty-seven weeks to get a call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to wait forty-seven. Do you weeks. know? Have you? Followed up on is it still a giant wait for this? Uh, no, it, it's now probably the Blu-ray is is probably right, in, the, course, in the library. Course, it finally, a director's cut came out in 2013, so they skipped DVD altogether. But uh, it was yeah, it was strange. It was not available on DVD. Everything's available on DVD, yeah. and it, they just Ishtar no. So I don't know. The, the, will it, will it like, ever be its time? I it's don't like know. the legend of Ishtar. Like still, yeah. people still have this idea that it's a terrible. Why release it? No yeah. one will buy that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you made this film with Jonathan Crombie, and mm -hmm. so there is 
um, a bit of sort of melancholia that goes along, and I felt it when I was watching this film. He passed away uh, a, a couple of years ago, and uh, you sidelined the film at that point. You put it aside and said, you know what, I'm, it's, it's too much. I'm not going to do this. And I would check in with you every now and again to see how it was going and to see how you were doing with it. And you'd say, yeah, I, I think I might get back at it. I might get back at it. Mm -hmm. uh, after Jonathan's passing, what was it that made you want to finish it? Well, for him, I, I knew I had to um, finish it and, and get it out there and dedicate it to Jonathan. So it is dedicated to him. But it was really painful and tough at first. You know, I just, it was, because of course he's, he's all through the film and I hear his voice and yeah. everything. And, and uh, he looks great and he's funny and he's funny all as the anything. things that, oh, yeah. he, that he was in life. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. he was my my best friend. Yeah. You know, like we weren't just uh, directed co-directors. Yeah, yeah. We knew each other from high school and we'd worked together several times and done lots of shows together. So... So, yeah, it was tough, but um, his family, you know, have been asking me about it, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, when's it coming? When's it coming? So um, we're doing a little screening in Toronto um, before the release. And uh, so the Crombie family will be there. And it'll be nice to show them and say, there you go. Here it is. I'm hosting that screening. You are hosting uh, that screening. Is it open Thank to the you. public? Are we telling people it about it? It is. I have to figure out what it's getting close to or maybe at capacity. Yeah, so I might have to do a second screening. I have to figure that out. It's actually... at Cycle on, on December 14th. And, and right. call ahead or, or check you out on Facebook or something, I guess, Absolutely. maybe. And, and see if uh, tickets are available. It's a terrific film. It's a really interesting, and, and you have like interesting people and in it. it's not, I mean, me aside, thank you very much, <laughs> but there's, you found, you, you, you did some homework here. We did. We were lucky enough to, I mean, it was going to be just a small little thing about, you know, the, the library. And then uh, there was a screening in New York um, with, um, they were showing Ishtar and Elaine May was there and being interviewed by Mike Nichols afterwards. So uh, we jumped in the car and drove to New York and snuck a camera into the, <laughs> tried to get some footage. It didn't really work out very well. And then uh, it tried to get Charles Grodin. That was a, that was that was embarrassing. Really? <laughs> ambushed him after the screening, and he said, "Okay, I'll say something. You know, get the camera." So Jonathan got the camera, pointed it at him, and it turned out uh, he turned it off instead of turning it on. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> so it happened twice, actually. I'm sorry, Jonathan, for telling these stories. Oh, but no. then, yeah. And then uh, Carol Kane uh, got a phone call during her interview, and Jonathan turned off the being nice, you know, yeah. turned off the camera, but he actually turned it on. So the whole first half of the interview, oh we didn't. God. So we were. So it's about Ishtar's about bumbling uh, songwriters, yeah. and we were the Chuck and Lyle of documentary <laughs> filmmakers. No question, we were just like stumbling around. But uh, we did get some interesting people. It was lots of fun. That's really amazing. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe next time hire a real photographer, a real cameraman. <laughs> Although there's a certain charm to those. Stories, there was a certain. Sure. Yeah, it, could, it had to be that way. <laughs> Susan, you spent a long time researching and writing. Uh, uh, the Man Who Invented Christmas. Uh, did you, um, in that time, look at all the versions of it? I There's uh, the classic Alistair Sims version, of course, of A Christmas yes. Carol, which is amazing. Uh, I really loved Scrooged with Bill Murray. And that one I've never seen. I don't know how I've seen avoided Scrooged? it. Scrooged? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. It's, it's a wonderful film. It's yeah. really it's fantastic. Fun. I'm going to watch yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, were there any versions that you watched as part of your research that maybe people would uh, connect with? I, I can't I can't say that I watched a lot of versions over no. the you know every once in a while something would come on TV there's a musical version that I watched oh, that was there's quite 150 good. versions there of must this thing be, at yeah. least yeah I yeah mean. there was one that was quite good but I was kind of I guess maybe unconsciously avoiding them because I was trying to keep clear my own version of the story there are it's such a 
it's such a rabbit hole. There's so many versions, and I was trying to keep clear my own vision of it. A lot of people really love Mr. Magoo's A Christmas Carol as oh, well, the animated well, version. Put so that you on put, my list. Uh, you put that on your list. <laughs> so, Larry, uh, your film is called uh, Dreaming of... I'm almost getting these confused now. I always mm-hmm. called it The Jews Who Invented Christmas. <laughs> that was which, one of our titles. Well, it? Yeah, it just, I almost said, so yeah. Yeah. I'm keeping this straight. So, uh, Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve on the Doc Channel. It'll be streaming as well. And um, we've got a couple minutes here. Let's start the story of the song that you wanted to talk about earlier. Oh, I, I was just thinking about the songs and their backgrounds mm-hmm. and, and the various uh, moving things that, yeah. that, that, but, but, um, do you hear what I hear yeah. is one of my favorite songs. Um, and it does indeed talk about the Christ child and it's a prayer for peace. And, and Gloria Shane Baker, who wrote the song, uh, when she was growing up, her next door neighbor was John F. Were the Kennedys? Oh wow! Uh, Joe and Ethel Kennedy and John F. Kennedy, who was just a bit older than her. Yeah. And so, uh, in October 1962, she wrote this song because it was the in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. and she was believed that John Kennedy is someone who was going to save the world and be optimistic. You know, it was going to be a time of optimism. And then this thing happened. And she was so devastated, and her husband, um, by by what was happening, uh, and the possibility of nuclear war, that she wrote this prayer for peace in the form of a Christmas song, and um, and for the rest of her life, whenever she heard it or when she had to perform it, she would break down in tears because it had so much meaning for her. So that's that's kind of neat. And yeah, yeah. You wouldn't think that's the latest of the songs that we we right. our songs are from from 1934, Winter Wonderland to. Is it kind like, of would, would that be Tin Pan Alley? Is that sort of like that? Do, do those dates line up? Uh, pretty these well. These are professional songwriters, yes, right? Yes, that are yes, pretty not well. Not necessarily performers. They yes, were. Yes, the, yeah. yeah, in the 30s, 40s, most definitely, and 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 they were they were professional songwriters who wrote about everything and anything. And, and, you know, Irving Glenn had written Easter songs. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, yeah. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. Larry Weinstein, Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas. See it on Christmas Eve on the Doc Channel. John Mitchell's Waiting for Ishtar is on Vimeo On Demand on December 15th. And The Man Who Invented Christmas in theaters right now. Susan Coyne wrote it. It's the story of how Charles Dickens kind of shaped our modern uh, view of what Christmas is. Uh, stay with us. Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we have Larry Weinstein. Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas is his film. You can see it on the Doc Channel on Christmas Eve. Fascinating look at uh, the men and women who wrote the Christmas songs that you hear everywhere, that blanket the earth <laughs> in November, starting at about November now, uh, all the way through uh, to Christmas Day, uh, and the stories behind them. And there's beautiful performances in here. Stephen Page, Tom Wilson, who will be on this show talking about his book in a, in a week or so. Uh, his book is fantastic, called Beautiful Scars. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's a really interesting movie that's a hybrid of documentary, of performance piece. But uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know, and I know a whole lot about Christmas music. Well, you know a whole lot about everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, uh, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to agree with you, but my wife and others would disagree, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, Susan Coyne is here. She spent... Nine, ten years working on bringing the man who invented Christmas to the screen. Uh, it's the story of Charles Dickens and, and how he kind of invented the way that we celebrate Christmas. And John Mitchell, another ten years, Waiting for Ishtar is his film about the merits of a movie that is often uh, unwittingly or, 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 or 
sort of poo-pooed by a lot of people. Uh, that will be on Vimeo on December 15th. A uh, download link for that would make a lovely Christmas present for <laughs> the movie lover on your fan, as would Larry's film as well. And you should go see The Man Who Invented Christmas, Susan. I really like this movie. It's it's joyful. Uh, and I think because um, I spend about half my time sitting in front of a computer writing, I, I, I liked the, the way that you brought to life uh, the creative process. We talked about this a little bit earlier on, but it's a difficult thing to do. Did you struggle with that? Well, once I got this idea of the characters coming to life, mm-hmm. I, I really, something really clicked in me because I, that's something I can relate to is, yeah. you know, and the idea that a character, once you've invented it, won't do what you want them to do, which is a <laughs> lot, I'm an actor too, so yeah, it's yeah. a lot like, a, to me, it's a lot like a rehearsal hall where suddenly the whole cast is turned against the director <laughs> and they're saying, no, my character wouldn't do that and uh, we have better ideas. So it felt very familiar to me once I got onto that idea. And Larry, when you were working on this film, were there songs that didn't make it in that you loved the stories, but you just couldn't fit them in for time or anything like that? We we did the sort of blankets, kind of inviting different right. publishers to like, we would love to have your song. And and some of them, they're just harder to get. Right. Um, and, and so, um, I mean, for instance, I'll Be Home for Christmas that mm-hmm. you mentioned. We, we liked its melancholy and its, its sadness. And, um, I mean, there were, there were a whole bunch of them that we were, we were considering. And, and, the, and there's just such a vast number of them. And, and then you keep going because, of course, all the songs from The Grinch Stole Christmas, oh. that's a Jewish composer. The songs from Peanuts, um, Christmas Time is Here, Jewish composer. And it's like, ah, when will this end? <laughs> um, and then I started realizing, I started having this weird phenomenon where I willed songs to become Jewish. <laughs> because I love, I love Little Drummer Boy. Right. And then I found out that the Little Drummer Boy that we know, both the title and the arrangement that we know is by a Jewish uh, person, even though it was originally a Christian song, yeah. but it was kind of repackaged and, and we wouldn't recognize the original one. Right, and brought in and made into a, like, more of a pop song yeah. almost by, by yeah. a Jewish uh, arranger and composer. And it was called The Drum Carol and yeah. it was a very different song and, and, and this kind of thing happened. I even have this theory that, that um, Silent Night is by a Jewish composer who actually worked in a church in Germany in the early 1800s, but I know his, it's got the same name, Gruber. And uh, so it's like... There's a movie in there somewhere for you. <laughs> and Susan can write it. Then, then the next thing I find out, like, it's about Christmas. Chris, Christmas is Christ. I didn't know Jesus was Jewish. Like, what? what is this? <laughs> so anyway. Well, so, Sue, before the, the, the microphones were turned on, you guys were talking, and... Larry has an idea for a film about Dickens that he wants you to write. Right, now, right, is, right. Is that, still, is that offer still on the <laughs> He's table? He's still mad at me, it's, though. <laughs> well, it's an idea that was from a few years ago um, that, that is based on a book called Charles Dickens and the House of Fallen Women, which is a true story about him going into the prisons and, and on the streets and trying to start this experiment, a social experiment of a house uh, in in London and and uh, got this house going uh, with, with I, I've just forgot it's been a while now I was mm-hmm. working on it around mm-hmm. 2010 2011 mm-hmm. and, and he went to the richest woman in London yeah Francis Coote uh, uh, yes that's right that. and and so uh, she bought the house he ran the experiment he chose. He, he micromanaged, he chose mm-hmm. exactly what the uniforms, all, the uniforms and mm-hmm. the wallpaper and, and, and got, and the, what books they would read because right. they taught them to read right. books and 
mostly his own. And, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and yeah, even yeah. and even for a while gave music lessons and and the idea was to give these women sort of to take them out of their disreputable past. Yeah. Um, and then and then, you know, it was a Pygmalion story. And then get them to come to Canada or Australia or South Africa so they wouldn't mix with their peer group. And I met one of the descendants uh, yeah. of, of, of one of these ladies. Well, this was Canada. what was so moving about him. He was a genuine reformer, but he was also a popular entertainer. And somehow he managed to marry those, a popular moralist, which is something we don't see very well, much Well, he was anymore. sort of a rock star. He was definitely he was a like rock the, star. Maybe one of the first literary rock stars. And yeah. like a rock star, I think he felt he had to put something back, and he right. had his own reasons for that based on his own well, childhood. The, the movie, The Man Who Invented Christmas, uh, gives us a, a, a good sense of that. And you start to understand, oh, I see why he wrote Oliver. Mm-hmm. I see why he wrote you mm-hmm. know, uh, the stories that he did, that all the, the, the movie has these... Uh, um, it shows us very clearly where ideas were born yes, from him he, there, for his works. And his early works were very coded, but he became more autobiographical, especially right. when he wrote David Copperfield, which was really his autobiography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of really, really close to his own experience in there. And John Wedding for Ishtar will be on Vimeo On Demand on December 15th. Um, you know, what What do you hope the message is? Is it just, hey, Ishtar's pretty good? Or is there more to it than that? Well, it's a very it's a very personal story. It's very close, yeah. uh, close to my heart and, and, uh, and uh, Jonathan, my heart. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jonathan, he said it several times. He said, I just want to make something that's funny and intelligent and has some heart to it. So right. I, I think it's as, as close as uh, I could get us or we could get us. Uh, so, you know, I hope people enjoy it and I hope people kind of identify because everyone has a sort of a probably something that's close to their heart that they, you know, maybe keep to themselves because they you know, don't want to get mocked or whatever. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's um, it's celebrating uh uh, something that deserves to be celebrated rather than reviled. I think mm-hmm. my guilty pleasure, I think, might have to be the Partridge family. And and I say that because when David Cassidy died just a few weeks ago, uh, everywhere you went, there were Partridge family songs. And I knew the words to every single one of them, even <laughs> though I hadn't heard them in 30 years. Maybe that's it for me. That's it. It's not a bad one. It's not a bad one yeah. to have. No, absolutely. It was a popular show. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> Susan, same question to you. What do you hope people take away from this? Or is it just a big entertainment, the man who invented Christmas? Uh, or do you want people to have a deeper understanding of Dickens? Or are you just hoping that they have a... Well, a, I hope they. I hope it's a fun ride. Yeah. But I also think he was a very, uh, I think, as I say, a popular moralist. You know, somebody who could... Um, Write very entertaining uh, works of art, but also really affected people and right. made them feel like they should do something with what they their good fortune. So I think that's why it's suitable as a Christmas movie. And he was the first one to kind of say, at least once a year, we should sit down and think, what are we doing with our lives, and how can we, you know? And and also talked about the great scene in A Christmas Carol is the joy that Scrooge has yeah, when yeah. he wakes up and realizes he has a second chance. And I think that's also really a powerful kind of message. Well, that. your movie kind of echoes that there there's sort of there are beats of a christmas carol mm-hmm. all the way through yeah deliberately and he has that joyful moment second and i don't chance. want to give anything away <laughs> but there's a second chance for him when it looks like everything's about to kind of fall apart and he's been horrible to people and that kind of thing there's a second chance that comes along yeah, and it's a yeah. great moment a personal moment yeah, yeah. A personal moment yeah. yeah it's not quite as large an epiphany i don't think as scrooge, scrooge is, no <laughs> but uh very few of us will ever have as large an, an epiphany as scrooge uh larry you're a uh a, a documentary 
documentary filmmaker uh, and, and dramatic filmmaker as well, but documentary filmmaker, are you teaching people or are you uh, just putting these out as entertainment and hopefully people will enjoy and walk away a little bit more enlightened? The, uh, all the films in general, this this particular. Let, let's talk about this one. Well, I, I think this is definitely an entertaining film, it but is. there's so much information. I I actually didn't think it would work. We had we have so <laughs> many interviewees and so many textures and so much information. The one section we actually that was a beautiful section in our film, which we eliminated, and it's because I was aware of Susan. <laughs> was our two minute section on Charles Dickens really was a part of the film, and, and in what context? Well, just just we had all, because we talk about Christmas and the right. nature and the evolution of Christmas and the Puritan attitudes right. about negative attitudes about Christmas and how that all changed with Dickens and then in a way the the Jewish composers were taking were were inspired by what he started and and I think that had a lot to do with it. If I knew I was here today with Susan, I would have kept it in <laughs> and gotten rid of all, all the stuff about Hanukkah instead. Maybe it can be in the director's. Yeah, I, I have to say though, I, I'm I'm I've been on pins and needles. This entire interview. You said you were angry at me about a couple of things at the beginning. Well, be, the one that I wasn't invited yeah. to be in the film because oh, of I my see. giant collection of Christmas music. The, one <laughs> of the, what, the, the, the Stairway to Heaven of Christmas music is called Santa Claus Goes Straight to the Ghetto by James Brown. It's one of the most amazing <laughs> songs ever. If you haven't heard it, uh, and uh, the Daptones do a great version of it, this is an amazing <laughs> song. I can talk about this. This is something I know about. And, you know, you put my ex-girlfriend in okay. the movie. Okay. Okay, well, we'll have to do a sequel, <laughs> right. and I promise to, to call promise you to up. give me a call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really those two things. I love the movie. Oh, that's good. Yeah, the movie is called Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas. Find it on the documentary channel on Christmas Eve. It's also streaming, so you can find it and watch it at your leisure or set your PVR for the doc channel. Uh, Susan Coyne's film, The Man Who Invented Christmas, is in theaters right now. Great reviews, and I love that the people that didn't like it got a lump of coal from the distributor. <laughs> I love that. I hope it's true. And John Mitchell's film, Waiting for Ishtar, uh, will give you some light on a movie that has been unfairly maligned. Uh, we're hosting, or I am hosting a, an event that John is throwing on uh, December 14th. Uh, check John Mitchell's Facebook page, Waiting for Ishtar as a, as a Facebook yeah. page. Get details there. If you want to come down, just make sure that it's not sold out before you show up. But it's going to be a fantastic thing, and you'll be able to find it on Vimeo On Demand on December 15th. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks to Mike on the board, and most of all, thanks to you for listening.